back in the 1960s, and that may date me a little bit, but, but I'm okay. Back in the 1960s, Roger Miller, who is a, a country singer, wrote a song, or sang a song, and it started out like this. Trailers for sale or rent. Rooms, about 50 cents. Then he comes in again. I'm a man of means by no means. But you know what? I'm king of the road. I know that's the name of the song, King of the Road. And, uh, you know, if you've heard that song, I mean, that's one of those catchy tunes kind of kind of grabs you. And I want to invite us this morning to kind of to kind of put ourselves king of the road. And, you know, what does that feel like? I know uh, on road trips I've taken in the past, we would take our family on vacation. And for a long number of years, or I had an opportunity, uh, my in-laws had an Airstream trailer. And uh, it was a 1967 Airstream trailer, and, uh, and I was pulling it with a Ford uh, big LTD, 1978 Ford LTD V8, probably got five miles a gallon, you know, it's one of those big horse cars, you know, and, and uh, you know, we were pulling this trailer with this car. Uh, down the road, and this is like in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, and I tell you, for the longest time, we were just old on the road, you know, but all of a sudden, kind of like in the middle 2000s, you know, retro hit. I tell you, when retro hit, we weren't old, we were classic. And, and I always remember, I mean, there was this moment where this guy drove up in this beautiful convertible, I forget, you know, it was a BMW or whatever, top down, and he gives me this two thumbs up. And I thought, oh, man, you know, I'm now cool. I was old, now I'm cool. And I tell you, when he did that, I tell you, I felt like the king of the road. And, and you know, you, you, you feel like the king of the road, and, and not only do you feel like it was king of the road because I was now classic, I felt like I was king of the road because that trailer, that car in that trailer, when you drove down the highway, you were the biggest thing on the road, except for the 18-wheelers, of course. But I tell you, from the, from the hood ornament to the taillight, you were the largest thing on the, on the road. And I tell you, when you're driving the biggest thing on the road, what that did, I don't know what it does if you've had that experience, but for me, what that did was it gave me this inflated sense of confidence, you know, that I always have the right of way. Because if you're the biggest thing on the road, you know, you're the biggest thing. And, you know, it, when I would make uh, change lanes or, or make a turn, you know, I would look, but you better look too. Because when, it, when we were talking about yielding, I'm going to tell you who's going to yield. And it's not me. You know, I mean, that was, I was not only king of the road, I was the King Kong of the road, you know. And so we're driving down the highway and I'm feeling good. And I want to ask you to put yourself in that driver's seat this morning as we come in, into the King's Valley, because that's where the scripture starts. This morning it starts in the King's Valley. And think a little bit about what it meant to be a king in the biblical times, because kings in biblical times, they were the king of the road. You know, they were, you know, might makes right, and they had the might, so they had the right. And, and whatever their way was, was the right way. And, and if it was the highway, you know, their way was the highway. And, and that's just how it went. And so that's kind of the background about how those kings operated. And so this morning what happens is we start out in the King's Valley. And in the King's Valley, we have one king who is the king of Sodom. And then we have a conqueror who is Abram. 
Now, to give you just a little bit of background on the scripture this morning, what happened was that the king, uh, the king of Sodom had suffered a most humiliating defeat at the, at the hands of another alliance of kings, and you could read about that earlier in the chapter. And, and um, in suffering this, what made it humiliating was he ran away in the midst of the battle. And all his people, you know, and all his property, they got pillared, they got plundered, they got taken off. And, and so they, they all got taken away, and that included Abram's nephew, his name Lot. And so what happened when Abram heard that Lot had been taken away, that what Abram did, he said, I have to go on a rescue mission. And so he goes out on this rescue mission, and he wins this crushing battle over this alliance. And so he's coming back with all the, all the spoils of war, all the people, all the property, you know, all that, you know, what war entailed in those days. He's bringing all of that back. And so as he brings all that back into the king's valley, he's met by the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom comes to him and he comes with a proposal. He comes with a deal. And the proposal is this. Let us split, let's split it 50-50. You take all the property and I'll take all the people. And that kind of actually makes sense because all the people kind of were his people. They were his family. They were the people that lived in his city. And so that, that split, you know, makes pretty good sense. And so he comes with that proposal. And so that's on the table and Abram has a decision to make. He has a decision to make about that proposal. But more than that, he has a decision to make about how he's going to handle his success. He has a decision to make about how he's going to handle the spoils of war, how he's going to handle his success. You know, we all strive for success. The question is, you know, if and when and where we get it, you know, what do we do with it? How do we handle it? Do we handle it or does it handle us? You know, maybe you've heard the expression, but I think it's so true. You know, it, it, the expression goes like this. If you experience failure... Don't let it go to your heart. If you experience success, don't let it go to your head. And how do we avoid that? The blessing of Melchizedek comes forward. Because what happens is they're joined in that valley by a second king. And Melchizedek comes from a, a place, a city called Salem. Salem is the forerunner of Jerusalem. And Salem means peace in Hebrew. And so Melchizedek comes in. Melchizedek na Melchizedek's name in Hebrew means, my king is righteousness. And so what's happening is the king of peace and righteousness comes into the valley with bread and wine. As he comes, not sword and shield, but bread and wine. And as he comes into the valley, he comes in with this blessing. He says, here's the blessing. He says, Abram, you are blessed by God, by God Most High. Most High is, in Hebrew, it's El Elyon, elevated, supreme, highest. And in case you miss it in the, in the blessing, it's said four times in this particular scripture to kind of, you know, underline, underline, underline about, you know, you need to understand it's God Most High. And it says, and he's the creator of heaven and earth. And the word creator really doesn't capture up fully what's in the Hebrew. It's, it's more like the creator, the maker, the owner, the possessor. You know, he's the one to whom everything belongs. 
And so Melchizedek says, you know, you are blessed by the one who is most high to whom everything belongs. And then he says in the blessing is, and what we want to do is bless God most high because it is God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That's a particular perspective on success. What he's saying in the blessing is that the victory is not so much about Abram and about how wonderful Abram is, how mighty Abram is. He says the victory is so much more about God and who God is as God most high and who God is as the owner of all. And he says, you know, Abram, you need to understand that the victory, that victory belongs to God. And so that's the blessing. The blessing that comes in the midst of how Abram's trying to figure out how to handle all the other blessings that he's, uh, the spoils that he, that he has. And so on the basis of that blessing of Melchizedek, here's what Abram does. Abram goes ahead and he gives a tenth back to God. Now, that's the beginning of the tithe, but what you begin to see as you look in the scripture this morning is that the tithe is not about, it's not a financial act. It's a faith act. It's an act of worship. And it's not about riches as much as it's about righteousness, about kind of how he understands what's going on with God in the context of where he finds himself. And so he offers that back to God as saying, God, you know, this is about you and how it all belongs to you and who you are is the God most high. And so that's the, that's the act of worship that the tithe represents. And then after that, what he does is he turns around, he gives the tenth to God, and then he goes to the king of Sodom and he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you back everything. Because I don't want it to ever be said that you made me rich in any way. And so he returns everything that he has control of. He returns it all back to the king of Sodom. That's a surprising act, a surprising move. Because what's happening there is it's that he's looking for a reward that's greater than the riches. He's looking for a reward that's about God's righteousness and about yielding to God and what God would have him to do in those moments. And so that's what that return is all about. He swears an oath to the Lord, the God most high. That's how Abram moves into those moments and how he handles the blessing, acknowledging God and acknowledging God's right of way and God's righteousness and building what he feels is that way that follows after God's right way in which there is, at the end of the scripture, it says there is that greater reward in that relationship that Abram shares with God. Now, we come this morning, we read about how that blessing then helps us to understand our blessings and helps us to understand how do I handle success? How do you under handle success? Because, you know, in some ways, the world has changed a lot. There aren't kings anymore. There aren't spoils of war anymore. But in some ways, the world has changed very little. Because you and I have the same decision to make that Abram had to make. Because in the successes of our lives, no matter what that is, it is in relation to business, in relation to athletics, in relation to academics, in relation to wherever we find ourselves, where we accomplish and we achieve and we shine, 
is that about us and about my skills and about my ability and how I work all that so well and so wisely to, to be a winner? Is that, is that what it's about? Or is it about that God has given me and God has given you the abilities and the skills and the gifts that we have? And what God has done is then has opened opportunities, opened opportunities that really are beyond our making, that we might step into them and we might live into them in ways that we might bring a blessing to others in and through them. So how do we understand that? And when we look at the riches of our lives, and even the riches are wonderful, do we say, you know, there's a greater reward than just having riches in life. There's a, a reward that comes from following God's right ways, from yielding ourselves in a way that we feel that we are following how God wants to lead us, so that as we, we walk in that way that there is a a relationship that is building between you and God, between me and God. God's righteousness growing in our lives. I mean, the question kind of comes down. Do I want to be king of the road? Or do I want to say, there's God most high? And I tell you, that's a poignant question for Christians. I think it's particularly poignant for Christians because, you see, we follow a king who we know comes to us in bread and wine. And we follow a king who is known as the prince of peace and righteousness. And we follow a king who it says in Hebrews, Jesus didn't glorify himself and becoming a high priest. He was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You're priest forever, he says, also in another place, according to the order of Melchizedek. And what that means, according to Hebrews, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent yielding, his reverent submission. Although he was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I know that's a lot of theology in there. There's a lot going on in there. But basically the way I kind of boil it down is, you know, when we, we follow Jesus, he doesn't make himself king of the road unless you're talking about the road to Calvary. And as he walks that road to Calvary, what he does is he yields to God's right way. He yields to the higher righteousness. And the victory that he wins is on the cross. And the reward that he gains is that higher reward of the salvation of us all. I tell you, we sub, we're going to celebrate this as we sing the last hymn. To God be the glory. Great things God has done. God has loved us all so much. God gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for our sin and opened up the life gate that all of us may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, we have the opportunity when we come to looking at the successes in our lives to sing King of the Road or to sing 
to God be the glory. You may have seen last week in the Sunday paper, there was a uh, really wonderful uh, feature in the, in the sports section. And it was about the Mavericks' uh, first draft choice, and the basketball draft happened. And, and their first draft choice is a young man named Dennis Smith Jr. And, and as you read through the article, uh, what he was celebrating on that night when he was drafted was the fact that as he wore his jersey, he was going to have Junior on his back. And what he was celebrating about that was his relationship with his father, with his relationship with his roots. He wasn't focused in on how many millions of dollars he was making, all the success he was having. What he was doing is focusing in on his roots and the one who raised him and the vows he taught him. And as you read through the article, there is a great quote about what he says. Here's what my dad told me. And I thought, man, this is just perfect. He says, here's how it worked in my household. My dad said to me, first, you go to Bible study. Second, you go to basketball practice. You hear the order? Bible study. Then basketball. God, then you do what God leads you to do. Where you're gifted, where you're blessed, you know, and then you, you kind of go from there, but, but it, it's got the order. I'll tell you, friends, that's the blessing, to keep the order. For God is God most high. God is the creator of heaven and earth, of you and me, and the life God would give us in Jesus Christ. And in that blessing... I'm going to invite us to bow our heads, join our hearts together in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks that we gather in this day and the blessing that you would bring to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who reminds us that all that we have, all that we are, is from you to be enjoyed, to be lived in ways that we not only receive, but then we, we share, we give back, we bless in ways that you are glorified, in ways that your name is lifted high. So, Lord, as we think about how we handle the successes of our lives, pour into us your Holy Spirit, that we always might give you the honor and praise, we might always serve and give with joy through Christ, whose name we pray.